0: Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a room of rejected mascot memorabilia. Is it real? No one knows. But we do know NJM is proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburger. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Rubble, rubble. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Bravo. Hurry
1: in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles like a daily double and small fries for a limited time.
0: Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison to the prior classic burgers. If you don't want to hear it, just shut me off. Especially you folks that monitor me every day to try to destroy me. You just go away. You don't have to be there. You don't have to hear it. But one day you're going to shake your fist in God's face. And you're going to say, God, why didn't you warn me? And he's going to say, you sat there and you made fun of Jim Baker all those years. I warned you, but you didn't listen.
2: Welcome to Fraudsters. I'm Cena Gazdavi. Justin Williams is here as always. This is a show where we break down fraudsters and the schemes and scams that they've done throughout time. Justin, that was Jim Baker at the top of the show telling us not to make fun of him. Yeah, I
1: hope when I go to the pearly gates and I'm pondering the meaning of my own existence in the universe, the first thing that God says to me is, you made fun of Jim Baker. I've warned you about that. (laughs)
2: why did you make fun of jim baker with two k's
1: (laughs) he has the wraparound mouth mustache
2: i i can envision myself having something like that one day (laughs) i can see myself god help me last week we told you how jim baker started ptl how he obtained his platform and also a lot about antenna television and, and, and cables and and pentecostalism and all this crazy stuff But today we're going to tell you about the major life moments that led him to become this televangelist icon and get him on center stage of Christian television and the moments that plunged him from reality. So to do so, we're going to hear from Jim Baker himself. I actually got a piece of vinyl uh, that I ordered online that was from a sermon that he did. And the vinyl came in, and I, I realized I don't have a record player. So I asked Fernando from LPN to help out, and he took the vinyl, took it to Eddie Larson's place. Eddie's got a record player, plugged it in, digitized it, sent it back to me, and I tell you what, it's solid gold throughout the whole thing. It's also a good time... To thank my good friend Eddie Larson, host of another last podcast network show, The Brighter Side. Eddie's also got a movie that's out right now, How America Killed My Mother. You can go check it out at howamericakilledmymother.com. So we were at the peak of PTL's fame, praise the Lord, or people that love. It's the 80s. Jim and Tammy Faye Baker are bringing in a million a week from their PTL, quote, partners that are people that are donating to them. They're also buying whatever the fuck they want. The Lord is providing for them. The prosperity gospel says if you give to the Lord, then you will get back even more. So to give you an idea, again, of that prosperity gospel, this is like the central tenet of his preaching philosophy. Uh, I found a clip from his sermon that I want you to listen to.
0: Let's go to Webster for just a moment and look that word trust up. Webster's a good preacher once in a while. Webster says the word trust means to have confidence, faith, special reliance on presumed integrity. Isn't that good? You know, if you have trust in God, you have confidence in God. You have reliance on God. And you know that God's not going to pull the rug out from underneath of you. I've used that term so often because I know the fear that goes through people's hearts. They say, oh, if I dedicate my child to God, God will take my child. Or if I lay this thing on the altar, I'm going to have to give it all up. That's not true. And many people think of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and Jesus said for him to give up all that he had and follow him. And you know what? I believe to this hour, people believe that if that rich young ruler would have given up everything, he would have had to live in poverty and there's still people preaching poverty and I don't see it at all that way. I believe if that rich young ruler would have said, Jesus, I'm willing to give it all up. It's all yours. I believe he would have had it all back and a hundred times more. But he lost everything because he was not willing to give up everything to God. He did not trust God. Woo!
2: That is the prosperity gospel by Jim Baker. (laughs) Reminding us of the story of the young ruler that could have given all of his money to follow Jesus, but he didn't give all of his money. He could have given it all, but he didn't.
1: By that logic, you know who the most blessed people are? Who's that? It's not the weak that will inherit the earth. It is uh, everyone that appeared in the ESPN 30 for 30 broke.
2: (laughs) Exactly. They gave it all to God. Yeah. (laughs) Vinny Testaverde gave it all to God.
1: (laughs) Yeah, all God, the strip club slash ex-wives slash houses slash cars slash wacky business schemes launched by family members. Warren
2: Sapp was just giving it to God. That's what yeah. he was doing. I mean, that that's what he was doing. And it's crazy because what he's saying here, remember, when they mean give it to God, he means give it to him. To PTL. Jim Baker is his messenger. He is the messenger. And you know what, Justin? People gave and he kept. And you know what? Oddly enough, they did not prosper. His whole empire ended in lies in the late 80s, and we'll get to the specific lies in a minute, but I actually want to break down his early life. How did he get to be this sweet? How did he get that voice? Because there's a lot of power in that voice, a a lot of pain in that voice, a lot of strength in that voice. I can't stop trying to talk like him. It's actually very... (laughs) Very addictive. (laughs) It's like very addictive. Come on now. (laughs) So Jim Baker was born in Muskegon Heights, Michigan. His birth was actually pretty interesting. He was born, just in premature, and his parents had to leave him at the hospital overnight. That's pretty common, right? You got to stay at the hospital. But at the hospital, his foot was burned by a heating device when he was in the little incubation thing. And so he ended up staying at the hospital even longer. So what happened? His parents became extraordinarily overprotective. So protective that in his autobiography, Jim Baker's autobiography, I Was Wrong, he was saying that his parents were so protective that he, quote, never experienced the sensation of a family member's touch. So let's be super clear. His parents were so protective, they did not let his other family members, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, Get close enough to give him a hug. Get close enough to, to uh, you know, give him a high five. They protected him that much. And imagine what that does to a kid. Even if that's half true, though. He's a sheltered kid, but his father, Raleigh, worked as a machinist and did really well. Very overprotective parents, but his family did well. We're talking about post-World War II era. We're talking about everyone's kind of, like, The middle class is coming up. Everyone's getting that car. And if you did well enough, you could probably get an even bigger house. While Baker in his book describes like his life as being in poverty, he lived a good life. By the time he was in high school, his family lived in a mansion. And Baker's father, Raleigh, loved beautiful things. And this is where we see the seeds of of Baker's personality come out finally. He loved to indulge Raleigh. Raleigh loved to spend. Raleigh loved to have the latest and greatest. In the 1950s, Raleigh was one of the first guys to buy a TV when they came out. This new thing comes out, like the new iPhone, get it immediately. But Baker always felt differently. He never connected with his family, only to his grandmother, Ermilda Irwin, who he'd spent hours with every single day. He actually never got close with his family. It's an interesting moment too, when they first built Heritage Village, the studio where they would film PTL and they would record it. He put a portrait of someone and it wasn't his mother. It wasn't his father. It was Ermilda Irwin, his grandmother. One photo, one portrait. That's it in the whole place.
1: They didn't put a portrait up of a crisp baby foot?
2: (laughs) A tenderized babyfoot?
1: <laughs> Welcome to Tinderfoot Studios. I'm Jim Baker.
2: <laughs> so, so there's a few moments, though, in his life that I think I want to bring up that really kind of paint the picture of who Jim Baker was and how he became the person that ended up going to prison in the late 80s. First, when he was a child, we talked about the overprotective family but he was also lonely. And he actually ended up making an adult friend at the time, a male adult friend at the church. And I think you could probably see where this is going. This man gave him his undivided attention. And Baker says the man made him feel super special. And it went from, you know, the time he was 11 to the time he was in high school. And during that time, Jim Baker in his autobiography says that he was sexually abused by this man or sexually molested by this man. But to the child Jim, the young Jim, he thought this was friendship. He thought this was love. This is how you show love. This is how you become friends with someone. He said it also confused his sexuality and that when he was in high school, it worried him that he was was homosexual and not heterosexual. So already, right, we could see even if he was gay, right, born gay, that he's already suppressing feelings, already beating down what's naturally inside of him. And as a avid churchgoer and as a person that was going to the church all the time, he covered himself in the embrace of the church. All of those feelings that were uncomfortable, all of the ambiguity in his life. The church gave him purpose. The church gave him a place to go. Here's what he said about it in his autobiography. This is a quote. The lifelong impact and the fear of exposure I felt as a result of being molested as a child cannot be told too emphatically. He wrote, And he was haunted by this. And he wondered if one day someone would stand up and say, I know something about you, Jim Baker. So imagine that fear. Imagine that fear. He's doing these shows and he still thinks this many years, decades later, that someone's going to stand up and say, I know something about you, Jim Baker.
0: Two years ago, we came to a turning point in this ministry. And I gave up once again. It comes in my life story in detail. If you'd like to read it someday, you can read it for yourself. I bear it a lot in that book. I hope people understand it because I did bear an awful lot that's never been told before. Jim Moss was there. And I submitted my resignation as president of the PTL Television Network, a corporation... Nonprofit ministry was founded in my kitchen, And I got to the point because of something which was, you can read about in the book, and I won't go into it today was such a tragedy in my life. Instead of seeing it torn apart, I said, "I'll give it up, God." And that was almost like the last of everything for me. And when I gave up, I even typed out my resignation. It wasn't but maybe 24 to 48 hours. And the very problem, the very condition that was causing me to have to get to that point was resolved. And when I finally said, God, once again, I surrender totally this ministry it's yours. I have no claims on it. All the demons in hell haven't been able to stop it since. And just these few days ago, we we're making arrangements to go into England and Europe with the gospel on PTL. First major breakthrough in the in the history of Christianity and broadcasting on television in Europe has come. Satellite. Almost every state in the Union with the gospel. Why? Because somebody had a master plan? Because somebody so clever behind the scenes was masterminding? No! Because there was a surrender
2: to Almighty God. He doesn't talk about the sexual abuse specifically, but I can't imagine something that he wouldn't share that only he would share in a book that he wouldn't want to share with that sermon from the research that I've done so far. There are, that is the secret of Jim Baker. That is the thing that he held in for so long. That is the thing that drove so much fear inside of him. That gives you a sense of uh, how long this stayed with Jim Baker and how much fear it brought with him. And it it is a tragedy. He was a victim. I, I believe that this happened to him. But what it did to him and what, Kind of person it made him into, and what choices he made in the environment that he was in that made him the person he is today, and that made him the person that ran PTL. There are still more things that we'll see that kind of created this person. Because in high school, he was relatively normal. He did theater and acting. And maybe at that time, that abuse was already cemented into his body, and that He was using acting to find a way to avoid those feelings. I say this because there was another thing that happened in his high school experience that was, I think, pretty impactful on his life, but it didn't have the impact that we may think it had. It was a snowy Michigan night when he was in high school. He was dropping off his cousin, George, and as they were driving, a boy, Jimmy Summerfield, slid down a snowbank onto the road. You know, if you're sliding, sled riding, you go too far, and he slid on a snowbank, slid into the road, and Jim Baker's front wheel ran over the boy. He crushed his collarbone, punctured his lung. But get this, the boy recovers. And Jim Baker says, this changed his life completely. And that's when he decided to go to Bible college. This is what he said in his autobiography, but here's where I think he had already changed because if that changed your life so much, then your life should actually change. But if you go back and look at what he actually did in high school after that, he just went back to the exact same stuff he was doing already. He didn't miss a beat at school. Before the accident, he was producing a huge variety show at school and doing acting and theater. After the accident, he was still producing variety shows at school, still acting, still in theater. On his senior yearbook, under Ambition, it said, to do the best possible in everything I do. It wasn't to go to Bible study. It wasn't to serve God. Notably, the two girls on either side of them wrote, to be a model was their ambition. And then the other girl wrote to live in a trailer. So that's that kind of sums up people he was going to high school with.
1: <laughs> I don't know whether that's sad or like I praise one of them for just being incredibly realistic about our life
2: goals. <laughs> exactly. So I know that's not an easy thing to talk about, you know? And and I just want to know, Justin, do you have any thoughts? or any life experiences you want to share about toddlers getting run over?
1: Uh, do I want to share any traumatic life experiences that have manifested themselves as part of my personality that I use comedy as a means to cope with and also shield myself from dealing with those feelings? Do I want to share that yeah. live on Spotify with everyone? Yeah. Uh, I, put, I I respectfully decline <laughs> uh, <laughs> my... My therapist has instructed me to do so. (laughs)
2: Listen, listen. You know, we want to respect everyone's boundaries. We want to respect everyone's boundaries. So what I see here, his father's opulence, sexual abuse, the church, the theater. I see an injured person confused about how he felt on a deep level. And he had to create himself. He had to create how he felt at every level. And what better way to do that than with the church? Because the church provides an answer to everything. So in some ways it helped him, but it also turned him into a person that stopped feeling, that stopped letting him feel the feelings that we need. So the church provides everything for you, for Jim Baker especially, and that can be a really good thing. That can be a safe place to be. But it can also be a very dangerous place to be because if it gives you everything, if it gives you all the answers, it gives you the rationalization for everything that you do, whether it's good or bad. You know, there was this. Criminologist named Donald Cressy who created the fraud triangle, and it's got three parts to it, opportunity, pressure, and rationalization. Now, the opportunity part is, listen, there's got to be something to steal. There's got to be a way to steal it, right? You got to have a television show and a way to get people's money. Pressure is what is your motivation? Well, you got to keep the lights on. You got to keep the television show going. You got to get people working, and especially you got to keep all those Rolls Royces that you've accumulated. The third part, the rationalization part, that's where you weigh the gains versus the losses. And the losses here are people's money. the Losses are people's livelihoods. The losses are some people's lives because they don't have much to give and the gains are all for yourself. And the justification that's part of that, God told me to do so. And the final little nugget of that, that brings it all together, that wraps it in a really nice bow, the justification, the rationalization that if we just do this one last thing, if we just do this one last heist, if we get this one last donation, everything's going to be just fine. That's what the church gives them. That's what the church gives a lot of people. And that's the power it has over a lot of people. I feel like I'm some sort of preacher now for Uh, agnosticism or something that's that's my church
1: that's 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 uh i'm a unitarian universalist and it's like sometimes people think that god is telling them to do something but god didn't say do that god didn't say do that at all in fact if we read all of these different religious scriptures from different traditions we could see that there are lots of gods which one do you believe in whichever one you want to believe in or none at all
2: (laughs) So there's one other story I want to tell before we get into like the meat of his lies that I think really blew me away that really I think gave Jim Baker a path to doing PTL a path to getting money from people with religion. Early in his career, Jim and Tammy Faye had eloped and were working with the Minnesota Evangelistic Auditorium, a church where Jim had finally had his first Holy Ghost moment. The first Holy Ghost moment
1: was actually the Minnesota winter wind hitting his body. <laughs>
2: The whole city gets that every year, I suppose. It's late 1959, and an evangelist was speaking at the MEA, the Minnesota Evangelistic Auditorium, about his ministry in South America. His name was Dr. Samuel Coldstone. Now, Dr. Coldstone was planning on buying a yacht. And
1: yes, and Dr. Samuel Coldstone, many people don't know this, uh, his fortune came not only from his ministry, but also his family's creamery. (laughs) Exactly Um, right. A very famous creamery.
2: Huge creamery wealth from the Coldstones. And so he wanted to take this yacht, Dr. Coldstone, wanted to take this yacht and go up and down the Amazon River preaching to the natives. Quote, he said literally, quote, want to preach to the natives. Coldstone was a compelling speaker, right? He knew how to get the crowd into it. And Jim and Tammy loved this guy. So much so that the MEA gave allegedly thousands of dollars to Dr. Coldstone's ministry. So great. Everything's going great. You have a guy, you he, he love him so much. They wanted to join his project to go to South America because who doesn't want to do shows for the natives? <laughs> dude, I just have,
1: uh, dude, it's just all the racist fucking, um, you know, Three Stooges and all that shit is like, that's the imagery that's coming to my mind. I feel so ashamed.
2: It's so bad. Like, just- Them just like, well, the natives will get the gospel and we will help them. We will bring the the white culture to them and love them for it.
1: And they're just whispering to each other, what is this white devil yelling about? Why is he on the Amazon?
2: So they're going to join his project in South America. They got to raise money, though. And during that time, like any other like pyramid scheme, another preacher from another state from North Carolina came to speak at the MEA.
1: Now, I'm here from North Carolina as a rival to the Cold Stone Ministry. I am Dr. Reverend Carvel, who also provides the word of Christ with a fine ice cream cake.
2: (laughs) The French vanilla Bible cake. (laughs) (laughs) And the bakers, after the sermon, tell this North Carolina preacher, hey, we're going to go to South America. And preach to, I'm going to not say Natives anymore, I can't, I feel so weird and uncomfortable. (laughs) We're going to go preach down there. So the bakers tell this guy what their plan is, and this North Carolina preacher says, Now come on down to North Carolina
1: and preach a revival at my church, and you can collect offerings
2: for your trip. And the bakers plan to take a bus all the way from Minnesota to North Carolina. But here's... What's crazy, the MEA loved this Dr. Coldstone so much they said, no, your trip is too important. We're going to fly you first class to North Carolina. This is their first time to North Carolina. And they don't know anything about North Carolina.
1: Even Petey Pablo doesn't get to fly first class (laughs) to North Carolina.
2: (laughs) And he's done more for North Carolina to raise them up than I think any single musician has in human history. So they're in North Carolina doing basically a run of shows, right? Yo, Justin, they bombed. They bombed so hard. Jim kept bombing. And even in his autobiography, he describes going to the back office of this preacher and just crying and saying, he said in his book, I was sobbing my heart out into a green carpet. So he feels... But the only thing he feels for is himself, and I think that's super, super important to remember. We've all
1: been there as comedians. Uh, you know, when I was a comedian, I go on the road, and you find out very quickly in North Carolina that all of your stuff about the Minnesota winter doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man! Hey, it's cold. It's cold. It's cold down here in Asheville, North Carolina. It's not cold like that Minnesota cold. Hey, y'all like Prince? <laughs> Y'all like Prince down here? Hey, you ever have your Chris Carter jersey get a little dirty, you know, down here in North Carolina, down here in (laughs) Winston-Salem? You know, when you're wearing your Chris Carter, one of the great wide receivers in Minnesota Vikings history, when you're wearing that jersey, you ever get it dirty?
2: Yo, I think they still had leather helmets. (laughs) Towards the end of their run, a young Presbyterian guy comes to the altar. And all of a sudden... This guy starts speaking in tongues and rolls, and Baker says he was rolling from one end of the building to the other, and that's where the term holy roller comes from. I just thought it was Hasidic Jews in New York dealing ecstasy, but I mean, I'm learning something every day from this show, and I'm so happy about it.
1: And I always remember when a man came up to me and said the profound words of... uh,
2: Hold on, I actually have Jim Baker talking about some of these Holy Rollers here. Let me pull that up. That
0: word in Hebrew, let's find out what that word commit means in Hebrew. It keeps that word trust keeps falling back in everything we talk about. But there it is. Commit means to trust in the Hebrew. You Baptists are going to get a awful set on this next part. But it means to roll or to wallow. That's what. That's Hebrew. You look it up in the Hebrew. To commit, in the Hebrew, means to roll or wallow. Woo! We finally found a scripture. We finally found a scripture to back up all those holy rollers, don't we? But you see, when you commit, you can just roll and wallow in the goodness of God. You've committed, you said, God, here am I, and you've abandoned yourself to God.
1: I don't know how that guy does it. Uh, How he rolls? (laughs) It's called Music Festival. I've seen a lot of holy rollers at uh, Governor's Island.
2: Exactly. At the EDM showcase. (laughs) But yo, they were so juiced. Everyone was into them now. They were raising money finally. They were doing it. They were actually going to go on this fucking Dr. Coldstone trip. And do, you know, 30 straight nights down the Amazon River. <laughs> Bright lights. <laughs> but Justin, it didn't happen. You know what happened, Justin? What happened, <laughs> I like asking you these questions that you know the answer to. <laughs> there is no fucking Dr. Coldstone. He was a fucking fraud. The man, the money he collected, all of it vanished, went away. They got word from the MEA that that all the money this guy collected, he just ran off with it. They could never find this Dr. Coldstone. So the Bakers now are stuck in North Carolina. But they got this money. They actually found out his
1: name wasn't Dr. Coldstone at all. They found out that he's actually his real name was Baskin Robbins. Oh,
2: Jesus. They're the most notorious of fraudsters. <laughs> <laughs> We've got eight ice cream jokes. Within the first 15 minutes of the show. So the, so the bakers, though, they've <laughs> got this money. And they started going on the road. So stupid. <laughs> Once they started going on the road, Justin, it was about 1959, 1960. It was five years later that they ended up on the Christian Broadcasting Network like we talked about in the last episode. In another five years, they had left the Christian Broadcasting Network and had made their own network. Another five years after that, Jim Baker is buying multiple Rolls Royces. And another five years after that, he's going to prison. So in just a matter of time, this man, the rise that he had. But how did he fall? And that's how we're going to start covering the lies.
3: Beverly Hills Investing showed me that it's possible for any American to access 7, 12, 18, even 23% returns with smart real estate investing. So what are you waiting for? Go to BeverlyHillsInvesting.com now, and maybe you'll join me. Poolside.
2: So let's get started getting into the clear lies of Jim Baker and PTL. He's got Heritage USA. He's building the Total Learning Center. He's got a huge studio, but get it, right? He can't pay for everything. Let me just, let me play a clip here that kind of sets up some of these things that that he wanted to do.
0: When I announced that the Lord has been dealing with my heart to build an advanced center where people be trained, I had more people almost go into state of cardiac arrest. They say, you haven't even finished this multi-million dollar center and you feel God's leading you into something else. Yes, I had to dedicate and say, God, I'm willing because I wanted to camp and enjoy where we were. I wanted to enjoy Enjoy. the new center. I wanted to enjoy the heritage village. But God had dealt with my heart that he did not build these tools for us to sit and enjoy them. Amen. And I've learned to trust in God. And if God says, do it, Henry, do it. Now, a lot of people say that as
1: a grown man without children, I should not go to Chuck E. Cheese. But God said, I must enjoy the ball pit. I must enjoy the robots. I must indulge in
2: the pizza. I must use tokens to enjoy the games. What the (laughs) fuck? Why is God saying all these absurd fucking things?
1: God has very specific priorities. He's like, enjoy the campfire. Like with a campfire.
2: You must get a Coleman grill with one of the little gas Bunsen burners so that you can have eggs and bacon in the morning. (laughs) So weird. So, to pay for all this stuff, he's got to ask people for money. So, he reaches out to his 700,000 person mailing list. Huge mailing list. What an
1: F you to also Pat Robertson. You have the 700 Club. I have the <laughs> 700,000 Club.
2: Yeah, exactly. And here's what he says in the mailer. This is a quote. Unless God performs a financial miracle, this could be the last letter you will receive from me. And he goes on to say, Faced with a $2.5 million construction bill, Tammy and I are giving every penny of our life savings to PTL. He wrote this at the exact same time in July of 1978, Justin, that he bought a houseboat.
1: That alone lets you know that he was going to have infidelity issues. No married (laughs) man should ever purchase a houseboat. Houseboats are for single guys that wear loud dress shirts and they're old in the club and grizzled detectives who lost their family in a tragedy and now they have a drinking problem. (laughs)
2: This is look at a broken picture every night. (laughs) They would even say, without a financial miracle, the ministry would, quote, be forced to close 95% of our foreign offices at a time when new doors of gospel outreach are opening to us on five continents. So remember that I said that PTL was global with the satellite, they got everywhere, Dr. David Yonggi Cho from South Korea, who ran the biggest church in the world out of Seoul, broadcast on the PTL network. And people, when they would call into PTL, they would give money that was earmarked for that church. So they would call in and say, hey, I want to donate not not to this project, to Heritage USA, but – to Dr. Cho's church. And they're supposed to send that money like any other organization that funnels money to different projects, right? And people would send this money in, and Jim Baker kept saying that he was going to send all of this professional production equipment to Dr. Cho's church. All of this camera equipment and production gear for all those donations. The donations weren't to Jim. They were donations to God. Well, Dr. Cho again, from Korea's largest fucking church, kept asking where the equipment was. Where's the gear Lebowski? Turns out, though, the PTL staff told Jim that the gear would actually be taxed at 100%. So Jim Baker's like, nah, I'm not fucking sending him that shit now. So instead of telling Dr. Cho that bad news, he just told him that there were shipping delays. And in 1978, he actually went to Korea, and when he went on a tour of Seoul, people that knew Jim Baker were actually pissed at him. They were angry at him. Dr. Cho was even more angry at him. He even said to Dr. Cho when he was in Korea, he said, listen, all your stuff is on the loading dock. We're just having problems getting it here.
1: Yeah, it's on the loading dock right now. He called me. He said he's turning the corner. He's picking up the forklift. He's going to get on that Now, see, the thing is, they got to get a licensed guy. They have union guys that run in double shifts, so they can only work a maximum of six hours at a time. So you got to wait another shift. But it's on the loading dock waiting for the forklift driver. If you look it up, actually, the other shipment is actually, if you look up the FedEx tracking, you'll see it's in Newark, New Jersey— And it started in Nashville, but then it went back to Newark. This must be something that has happened with UPS. Now, the post office, that equipment has slowed down because Trump has taken out the mailboxes. So that will be an extra six-week delay on those things. But you see, it's all there. It's on the loading dock. It's at Newark. It's flying back to Newark in a week, but it will be back in Newark again on the way here to Korea. But then also the post office, once they get the post office boxes back, all your equipment will be in the same place. Here is a tracking number if you want to check any of
2: this. (laughs) And Dr. Cho finally said, His Holiness Dr. Cho would like you to know that he does not want your equipment anymore. That you should just send it to Japan.
1: And if you know anything about the history between Japan and Korea, that's the biggest diss in the world. A Korean saying send it to Japan in the 70s might as well be like Shove this up your ass and go to hell.
2: Typical American arrogance. But yo, Justin, that's not even the worst thing that he did. What happened to Cyprus was even worse. Elias Malky was on PTL from Cyprus in November of 1977. He wanted to build a radio transmitter to broadcast the gospel through the Middle East. And of course, Baker jumped at it. PTL actually had a magazine. Of course, they had every, they were operating on every medium you could possibly imagine. And it was called Action. And in the January 1978 edition, now this is important, January 1978 edition of PTL magazine, he wrote, Even while this magazine is being printed, we are flying to Cyprus at the invitation of the Cyprus government to set up an AM transmitter on that island, which will reach the entire Arab-Israeli world with the gospel through the radio. I'm sure in 1978, the good people that lived in those areas, all they wanted to hear was the gospel of Jim Baker. They weren't fighting over land or anything like that, I'm Yeah, sure. That,
1: yeah, I actually talked to members of the Palestinian Liberation Organization and members of the Israeli Mossad at the time. And they said um, what really what they really needed was uh, evangelical Christianity to be broadcast. <laughs> uh, that, that's what they were – both it's sides the could agree on that. It's one thing
2: they were missing. Yeah, <laughs> there were one thing they were like, you know – Judaism and Islam, we really just needed evangelical Christianity to really mix it up in there. <laughs> so people within his organization, now remember, now not everyone had drank the Kool-Aid. Most of the people that worked at PTL drank the Kool-Aid, but they were still trying to run an actual organization. There were a lot of people there that believed in the message. And Baker was advised against doing the project. But PTL got $56,000 for Cyprus. But of course, Never sent it. So remember I said, remember January of 78, because that's important. The Charlotte Observer drops their bombshell investigation chronicling all the money that's been diverted to operating expenses and not into the places where they were supposed to be donating money to. So all of a sudden, he's in this position where he is supposed to give this guy, Malky, $56,000. And then this newspaper report comes in that says if you gave money to PTL for a certain organization to get money through PTL, they're not getting it. It's getting diverted. So Baker is freaking out. He's got to keep things quiet. He's got to make sure that this shit stays under wraps. So he tells his accountant, Jim Moss, to cut a check for Malky. And just give it to him in private because this guy was about to be on the show the day after the news story drops. And Malky thinks he's going to be on the show. He's backstage. He's in the green room. He thinks he's going to come out. It's going to be this big, fun thing. He's going to get a big old check. He's going to take it back. He's going to create peace in the Middle East through evangelical Christianity. He is going to make the difference. Yo, they don't even announce his name at the top of the show (laughs) in the intro. PTL security is now slowly surrounding Malky. He doesn't accept the check backstage. What the fuck is going on? Malky says, I have been handled around here today like I am some spy or something. But they figured it out. They got him on the show. They presented the check to him very quickly and then raced him out of the studio before the final credits of the episode even rolled. So even when they were giving, they knew they were, they were up to something. So that January 78 Charlotte Observer Exposé got the attention of the FCC. And here's where things start to get wild that would begin a three-year investigation as to whether $337,000 raised for other missions was diverted to pay for other things at the ministry. So that's $337,000 is a lot of money, but it's not even close to the million dollars a week that they were bringing in. But the FCC was only really going on what the Charlotte Observer was talking about. Now remember, the FCC can't punish a content producer, right? So- They can only penalize a broadcasting station, like a TV station, for bad acts, right? So if you think about no one could punish Howard Stern in the 90s for some of the terrible things he might have said, they punish the the station itself that's broadcasting. So Baker, like an idiot, had purchased a station in Canton, Ohio for $2.5 million like three years earlier. So he's now exposed himself to all this liability. When the FCC comes after him, he like goes to war. He makes it like a holy war. Why did he do that? Because this is how he got club members to give more money. If you make it seem like your life is being threatened or your livelihood is being threatened, people will come and get your back. So Jim Baker did something crazy. He went on PTL with a portrait of Jesus Christ over his shoulder. With the battle hymn of the Republic playing underneath, and he says, While I am naturally concerned about PTL, I am more concerned about the individual's rights and freedoms to worship God as they please without the government telling them what they can and cannot do. If the government can't intimidate our ministry, the same thing can happen to any church in this country. If we are wrong in anything that we have done, we will stand the consequences. But we are clearly not wrong, and what we want is what every American wants, the right to worship our God as we want to. We do not want this church or any other church destroyed or intimidated by the government. When he finally testifies at the FCC, it's beautiful. It's like he goes from this like high-powered tech CEO to saying that he's forgetful and not a good manager, and he says, quote, Everything we have ever done at PTL, we never had the money in the bank. You can't measure faith in dollars and cents. I am not a businessman. I am a minister, and faith is what motivates us, not fact. That's what he said to the FCC. This is the earliest known recorded example of alternative facts.
1: I want to give a big shout out to Jim Baker for setting us on the path to that beautiful presidential debate we got to experience a couple of weeks ago. Very informative stuff there. (laughs) A lot of good data. Very wonky. Very policy-oriented exchange.
2: I just got lost in the details. Uh, By now, he's still making promises, though, Jim Baker. And here's the biggest promise that he made. On Heritage USA, he wanted to expand Heritage Village to include a 500-room grand hotel, a Towers hotel, and 50 bunk houses and other facilities. Now comes the uncomfortable part. So he's building all of these different things. And of course, he has to keep fundraising, and that takes him all over the country. And at one point, it takes him to raise money for Channel 22 in Florida. John Fletcher, who was a friend of Baker's and a, and a guest on PTL, arranged for 21-year-old Jessica Hahn to meet Baker in Florida, ostensibly to take care of his kids while Baker attended to the fundraisers. Now, Jessica Hahn was a devout Christian and member of the church. She'd been baptized by Fletcher and idolized Baker, and according to her own accounts, was absolutely thrilled at the opportunity to be there. According to Hahn, however, she was essentially lured to Florida, given wine and told that she was helping the ministry and then sexually assaulted by both Baker and Fletcher. Afterwards, Jim Baker used PTL dollars to pay Jessica Hahn $265,000 in hush money. But God bless fucking Jessica Hahn. She was not going to stay silent. Here's a clip from the Geraldo show where she was actually able to speak to John Fletcher via a video feed. And this is. This is some crazy shit.
1: This is uh, uh, from the art. They sat on the bed together. That is uh, Fletcher and Jessica. Suddenly, now quoting Fletcher, her arm went around my neck and she grabbed me and kissed me. I said, Jessica, don't spill that wine on me. She said, I need to know there are some real men left. And the next thing, we
0: were under the covers. Is that what you said? Yes, I said that. That's an accurate quote? That's an accurate quote. Jessica? Jessica?
3: Geraldo, I wish to God he'd rotten hell. Let me tell you something. I am sick and tired of this. This is too much for me with this man. He is lying. My little brother is listening to this. I am fed up with this bull crap with John Fletcher. He wishes somebody did that. His problem is he has never been, had a normal sex life. He doesn't know what love is. He screws everything from animal, animals to old women. He doesn't give a crap. Hey, Roger, I swear to God, I swear to God, I am telling you the truth. This man is on a promotional tour because he can no longer pass around the offering plate. He can no longer make a living from stealing people's money. Just like Jim Baker, he is a thief. He is a professional liar. And I am sad up with it lost a family and I don't give a crap about his family because he didn't either. I lost a family. I spent Thanksgiving alone. I'll spend Christmas alone. Why? Because of them. This is the last interview I'll do with John Fletcher because I don't give a crap about this man. I am so sick of fighting this. I'm fighting all these men. And I have a story. My story is true. I'll back it up 1,000,000%. Uh, and if I'm wrong, then let me be indicted. John Fletcher, you should have hung yourself. I wish you dead. You're I a did. liar.
0: Jessica, I did attempt to hang myself Good. and woke up Good. very disturbed because it didn't work. And I was on life support equipment. You're Good. not the only one who has suffered. I've lost everything oh, John, that is dear but and that, that I treasure way. in life. John, and you, you know, it. Jessica, you and I and all these players in this saga are just as guilty one by the other. John The only thing me. I can say I wish you no harm, Jessica. Oh god I'm to not hell. trying to go be effective.
1: Yeah, I love the implication there that Jessica Hahn should feel some remorse because by coming forward with the story of her sexual assault, she really caused a lot of hardship to her attackers. Prisons full of victims who, you know, yeah. I'm a victim too. You know, people had to tell that I murdered somebody, and that cost me my employment and my freedom. Has anybody ever thought about me? Yes, I'm a murderer.
2: It's kind of crazy because even just having that experience of going on a talk show in the 90s and confronting your accuser like that, I mean, every everything changed after that for the Bakers. And, and I think, you know, th- they're also tightly tightly wound so when it comes to sex they all freak out
1: yeah and as wild and sensationalist as it is to have a sexual assault victim sort of have to share like a national audience with her attacker uh what i'm struck by though is that it's still for that was considered trash television then that's still more even than what you have now now they wouldn't even let the woman speak and they would destroy her personality. Like, you know, if you look at the way Fox News, ha- you know, handled someone like Doctor Ford, right? It's actually much, much worse now than the trash television of the '90s.
2: At least they, they had some sort of playing field that you could confront. Now the the game is rigged everywhere you go, and all those people that used to get slammed have their own fucking channels now. They have their own own audience. They have their own whole ad model now.
1: Yeah, white supremacists went from getting booed on Geraldo. Uh, to actually having their message be amplified on like Hannity and Tucker Carlson, yeah, or like yeah, or or in the case of like Laura Ingram, just like getting the
2: show, like they just get the show, <laughs> get, get the show, get get book the gig.
1: I remember that thing from the last episode where they were like cable television, which might expand the frontiers of knowledge around the world, beaming instantaneous opinion into your homes. Did they know it was just going to be used for Geraldo?
2: <laughs> it was like- televangelists like having to confront their victims it's fucking christ
1: cable television will allow you to see a white supremacist throw a chair across the room and burst geraldo's nose live and in color
2: we will get back on neighborhoods with cable television and destroy our souls you know, I also want to make sure we hear as much as possible from Jessica Hahn. I know this is about Jim Baker, and, we, and this is about his, like, financial frauds and stuff like that. But I think it's important that we hear as much from her as possible. So the Charlotte Observer actually interviewed her 30 years later, and we have a clip of that that I think uh, it would be good to – just so people have a little bit more context and a little bit more sense of what happened there. We're
4: going to get angry at him, saying in his first statement was I was set up by a female Confederate. No, you weren't. Asked for me to show up in Florida, pretending to take care of your kids, and you came in a hotel room and you had sex with me. I didn't push you away, but you had sex with me. You, didn't, you weren't set up by a female confederate. You begged another preacher to get you a woman. And I was that woman. I want to say cut the crap. Back then I was like kind of sweet and going, oh, I don't want to hurt the church. You know, you're a good guy. Just made a mistake. That's bullshit. You know, no, it hurt me. And you set, you, you set me up. 21-year-old, I was really raised in the church. You know, I, I didn't even know anything. I was kind of naive, vulnerable. I get angry when I'm sleeping. I think things wake me up. And it's like, come on. I just wish they would all understand it. It wasn't a game, not funny. You didn't get away with anything. And even though he wrote a book, I was wrong and all that crap. It's like, he never came to me and said, it took me a long time to get like this. It kind of hits you later. And all I think about is the mistakes I made and it makes me feel bad. You get angry because you know, well, i was wrong too but so would they everybody jim baker still has a show where he talks into the world stuff i go out and sometimes people you know rarely but once they hear my name or something they're like oh I, I get embarrassed i never used to get embarrassed and i guess because the reality of it hit me i don't know it affects people i should i'm ridiculous. I'm kind right now <laughs> but you know it affects people all these people that it's happened to and it's severe and it's it, criminal he I mean, didn't just walk away and say i'll handle it or observed it i didn't fight him you know i allowed it to happen i got on the plane i went he walked in the room i didn't run out of the room you start feeling like that and i guess a lot of women feel like that well i didn't run so that makes me wrong but it's not like that it's like somebody walks in the room like jose like in the 20s and you're watching them every day. It's like, oh, my God, this is like God walking in the room. I can't say no. I can't, you know. And, you know, message
2: with your head through the years. So it's Jessica Hahn 30 years later with the Charlotte Observer talking about her sexual assault with Jim Baker. You know, I know, Justin, we're just, we're two guys. And a lot of times uh, these are the voices that people don't necessarily want to hear. On it, but I think this is also a time where we can share how this kind of makes us feel and how how fucked up it was that this happened so long ago. And frankly, she did everything the way that we hope people would do things that would speak out and fighting for what is right. And you can tell that the trauma of this event stayed with her 30 years later. And she even blames herself in it, in that clip there. She says, it's ridiculous that I'm crying. I don't think it's ridiculous that you're crying right now. I don't think it's ridiculous that trauma stays with you for generations, that, that it could even be passed down to, to your kids if you have it. I don't think that's ridiculous at all. And if you are out there and you are a victim of sexual assault, it is, is not your fucking fault. It is not your fault. And you have went through a traumatic experience and... I hope you get help, and there's a a number for rain. It's the uh, National Sexual Assault Hotline. Uh, If you have been a victim of sexual assault, uh, you can call this number 24 hours a day, 1-800-656-4673. Now I know we're supposed to be a comedy podcast, but at times we are talking about some really sensitive stuff here, and it's a lot easier when it's just a televangelist bilking people for money, But when it gets to stuff like this, where it's sexual violence, uh, we want to make sure that we respect how serious it is. And, you know, we love making jokes. But uh, that being said, we we want to make sure that our audience knows that we're here to support you guys and know that that this show a lot about a lot of it is about the victims and these fraudsters don't just take money. They take people's lives. And so let's – I think we're going to probably end the episode here today uh, and start a part three, actually, where we can get into uh, the fraud charges themselves, what happened in the trial. And then, of course, as Jessica Hahn aptly pointed out, what Jim Baker is doing today, who is still on television, still on his own network, still hawking product and getting paid for it. Although I think right now he's unable to accept credit card payments because he tried to sell a cure for the coronavirus. Anyway, so so there's a lot here. Just anything else? I, I don't know if you have anything else to add there.
1: Yeah, we have a thoughtful fan base as well, too. So, you know, we want to have a show that reflects the thoughtfulness of the audience that we have as well. And not to mention that also acknowledges that these experiences are statistically incredibly common. So we're going to have listeners that are affected by something like this.
2: I'm grateful that you and I, Justin, are able to like talk about this. And I'm also grateful for Hazel, Brian, our producer, to help us kind of, you know, build the context for this and to make us have this conversation and to reflect on it. All right, well, insert hilarious uh, voice and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna wrap it up for today.
1: <laughs> oh
2: boy. See, you gotta break the tension at the end there, right? And so uh I'm Cena Gazavi at Cena Now on all social media, Justin Williams. You can find him on Facebook or you could send him an email and he'll come to your house. Uh, Special thanks to Hazel Bryan, our producer. Super doubly thanks to her uh, for this episode. Uh, We don't know how we'd do it without you. Marie Anderson on the edit uh, and uh, the rest of the team. This has been a production of Zero Cool Media and The Last Podcast Network.